Hola familia, les saludamos en el nombre de Cristo Jesús, nuestro sanador. Hey family, we greet you in the name of Christ Jesus, our healer. As we've been walking through this journey toward Easter called Lent, where we focus on the cross and the empty tomb that's coming, this invitation to receive what God has for us, even as we release those things that we need to offer to him. I'm reminded of how God is our healer. One of the invitations that we've had is to, is to be fully present in mind, body, and spirit. And how we're doing that in this moment is to invite you to be fully present in your body, to, to be aware of where it is that maybe you're holding tension, what gentle noticing needs to take place where you can sense what it is that you are carrying a little too heavily these days. Invitations and opportunities to trust God with pressures and anxieties and wonders, to lay them before Him. You know, I'm reminded of the scripture that speaks of how much God cares about our bodies. It says this in Psalm 139, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. His works are wonderful, including how he made our bodies. And the one who made us is the one who can heal us. And so I invite you, being fully present, to welcome the healer in this place right now. Away. 
couldn't earn it I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Reckless love of Hey friends, uh, we're continuing on in our Lenten journey and with each passing week, we draw closer to the commemoration of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and we draw closer to our celebration of what Jesus accomplished when he left that empty tomb on that first Easter morning. And I, I hope that you've been able to take advantage of this season 
of, of high spiritual intensity. And I hope that you have carved out a little space in your life to encounter Jesus in new and fresh ways. This next week, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Now, St. Patrick was a fifth century missionary and bishop in Ireland. And there's this ancient Irish prayer of protection that's been attributed to St. Patrick. And I, I wanna borrow some language from that prayer to help set up our own prayer time today. And one of the phrases that, that you'll see pretty quickly in, in this prayer is that Jesus would be in every eye that sees us and that Jesus would be in every ear that hears us. It's such a great reminder. It's, it's, it's so good for us to just think about this stuff. We to live our lives in a way that best communicates and demonstrates the love, truth, and grace of Jesus. So much so that each person who sees us can actually see Jesus, that each person who hears us can actually hear Jesus. And maybe to make it a little bit more contemporary, each person who reads our social media page can actually experience Jesus. But we have to lean into examination. Does my life, my words, my actions, my various engagements and investments actually represent Jesus? So as we get ready to pray this prayer together, I encourage you to allow Holy Spirit to search your heart, your mind, your soul, and be ready, be willing to hand over anything found there that is blocking you from experiencing the fullness of Jesus in your life, but also to hand over anything that's there that might be blocking others from experiencing the fullness of Jesus through your life. So I invite you now to pray this powerful snippet from this ancient Irish prayer of protection attributed to St. Patrick. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. We pray these things in the name of Father, Son, Spirit. Amen. friends, I'm so grateful for this opportunity that we have to continue our journey together, our walk looking at the cross and the crown of Jesus as we observe Lent together as a church family and we march towards Easter. We're doing uh, this, this journey by looking at the Gospel of Mark. This is a narrative that is really told in two halves. The first half of Mark is really looking at the identity of Jesus and really illustrating through different vignettes that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is, he is royalty. He, he is deity. He is fully God. He is the one with authority over sickness and over nature and sin and the law. The reality of Jesus as fully God and fully man is firmly on display throughout this entire gospel narrative. The second half of Mark focuses down in on the passion of Jesus that leads him to the cross. If you've missed any of this exploration of Mark, um, I invite you to go to our website. You can watch on demand either by clicking on our website watch series or by looking at our YouTube channel. We're picking up on this journey with Jesus in Mark chapter 5. Now, all three of the Gospels record this story, and so we know that it's significant. 
Pastor Sean talked last week as we looked at Mark chapter 4 about Jesus calming the storm as the disciples and Jesus journey on a boat to the other side of, of the lake. And when they get there, this is the area of probably the Golan Heights. And Jesus performs an awesome miracle there that you're going to want to read about in Mark chapter 5. But then Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat and they're journeying back to the other side of the lake. And, and they're likely entering into a town called Magdala. Magdala was a fishing port. It was a place the disciples would have been very familiar with. It's where they would have gone to sell their fish. Um, it was a busy town um, right there on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, if you go to Magdala today, and maybe someday we'll be able to travel uh, again to places like Israel, if you were to go to Magdala, you would see that they are excavating all the way down to first century tile, a synagogue there in the town of Magdala. Now what's significant about this is that as you look at the tile, this is a synagogue where Jesus likely would have taught from. And so the tile that you see is where Jesus' feet would have touched. And we're gonna encounter Jesus starting in verse 22. And we're gonna look at verses 22 through 24. And right away, you're gonna see the significance of this synagogue to the town of Magdala. So Jesus is entering the town. The people can see him coming. And so they have gathered into a large crowd. In verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. Now let's talk about Jairus and who he was. He was a leader of the synagogue. So he was one of the Pharisees. He was a rabbi. He was respected in the town. And yet we see this, this image of a Pharisee falling at the feet of Jesus. And there's something powerful about that. Because we know that Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees, it had a lot of ups and downs in it. But you know what? The desperation of Jairus causes him to not care about any of that and to just fall at the feet of Jesus. He's a desperate father looking for a miracle for his beloved daughter. One of the most important leaders in the community approaching Jesus at his feet with a request for healing. And then we see along the way, Jesus is going to encounter one of the least important people in that community who's also desperately looking for Jesus to give her a miracle too. Let's journey on looking at Mark chapter 5 verses 25 through 34. If you've got a Bible or a device, I encourage you to open it up, to look at it. The, the, the scripture will be on the screen, but, but there's something powerful about, about holding God's word in your hand and really digesting it differently. So let's look at this together. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples answered, you see the people crowding around you and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. All right, friends, let's talk about the significance of this encounter. This woman is the epitome of no hope. This woman likely had anemia. She probably looked sickly and unkept. She was suffering the shame of menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And this made her ceremonially unclean and unfit to be a part of society and community. You see, the people of this day, they were ruled under Levitical law. 
And she would have been ostracized under this law from even her family and friends. And it was her responsibility to stay away from people and not contaminate them. We see that she had spent all that she had looking for a cure, for any hope of rejoining humanity. She had endured all the cures that could be undergone. There were at least 11 listed in Levitical law, and she had tried all of them, and none of them had worked. All to no avail. For her to even venture out into the crowd was likely a huge step of bravery. Now, I think we can hear this story, and we, we don't really have a context for it. I mean, what would that be like uh, to be completely ostracized from community? Uh, the, the stigma that she experienced was, was similar to what lepers in that day experienced as well, where they were removed from community, they couldn't touch people, they were unclean, and, and she was in that same category. So I think it's important for us when we read scripture to, to try to find a way to connect to it. And so I was thinking about what's a modern day equivalent? You may not be aware um, but in Africa and Asia today, uh, women experience when they do not have access to prenatal care and good maternal health care, and they're very young when they have children or very old when they have children, there's traumatic things that happen to their bodies. And one of the things that happens are called fistulas, and it's when in childbirth, um, literally the inside of a woman, it just kind of tears apart. And they're left in a state of chronic bleeding or other fluids escaping from them all the time. There are over two million women today who suffer with untreated fistulas and are completely ostracized from community, from their villages, from any sort of connection because they're considered to be unclean. Now, we, we can hear that, and I mean, that's, it's an appalling uh, thing to realize that that happens even today. But, but let's bring it a little bit closer to home. We're all coming out of a season in this last year um, where I think we think about the value of touch a little bit differently. I know that I do. Um, and there are, there are just simple things that we've not been able to do that have caused us to feel isolated from each other. And so think about over this last year how not being able to shake hands, to hug someone, uh, to, to touch their arm in a sympathetic gesture, how that's left us in a strange state of, of awkwardness and deprivation. Can you imagine living in that kind of isolation from physical touch for 12 years? And then, and then not just the isolation of touch and community, but, but also being really sick on top of it and having to navigate that all on your own. Can you start to, to identify with the space that this woman was coming from, her sense of de desperation? And here's what I know about desperation, friends. Desperation leads us to one of two choices. In desperation, we either choose despair or we choose dependence. Desperation is when we come to the end of ourselves and there is nothing else that we can do. Medical science maybe tells us there's nothing more that can be done. We know that we've grabbed ourselves by our bootstraps for the very last time and we're desperate. And in that desperation, we either choose to despair or we choose dependence. Dependence on Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage us, if you're feeling that sense of desperation, don't choose despair but throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus and choose dependence on Jesus, the one who sees you, the one who knows you, the one who loves you. This woman, this woman dared to reach out to Jesus, believing that he could heal her. Artist Daniel Cariola captures this moment of desperation so beautifully in his painting called Encounter. This painting is located in a chapel built over a historic site just on the other side of that synagogue in Magdala, right where the fishing market would have been. We're going to show you this painting. I just want you to sit in it for just a moment. This painting, this close-up depiction of this hemorrhaging woman touching Jesus' cloak, the very fringe of his garment, where you see her hand, you see a small sparking light shown that sits right in the middle of the painting, and there's a stone altar that sits right in that space. The woman whose hand we see was looking for healing, and she found it when she touched the edge of Jesus' cloak. 
Now, this detail about the edge of Jesus' cloak, we don't find it in Mark, but in Matthew and Luke, in their accounts, they're very specific that she touched the fringe, the very edge of his garment. The focus of this painting, how it's so zoomed in, no faces, just a hand and a foot and a fringe of a garment allows for no other distractions from this supreme act of faith that we get to bear witness to up close. Now, under normal circumstances, when this woman touched Jesus, Jesus would have been made unclean. But instead of her impurity affecting him, his purity and his power was so great, it made her whole and clean. Now she risked a lot. She risked a lot even for Jesus. Her touching of Jesus not only jeopardizes her, but the mission of healing that Jesus was already on as he was, as he was on a mission to heal Jairus' daughter. I think that this moment is a foreshadowing of the cross where this woman takes her impurity and puts it on Jesus. And instead of it having a negative effect on Jesus, it actually is restoration for her. On the cross, Jesus takes on our sin and he becomes sin so that we might have a way to experience right relationship with God, with ourselves and with others and community around us. What a beautiful picture this is of the righteousness that Jesus gives when we reach out to take it, he's the one who breaks down the barriers that separate us from him and us from other people. We are so loved, friends. This moment, this moment that Jesus takes on her impurity shows his authority over the Old Testament law, over the Levitical law. It also shows his authority over sickness and just a few short moments of interaction. Let's go back to the text and pick it up in verse 27. You'll see that by the time this woman gets to Jesus, there are people all around him and she can see that her window of opportunity is closing quickly and maybe whatever little hope she had was fading. But 12 years is a long time. And she figures, you know what? I've got nothing to lose at this point. And so she steps out on faith and takes a chance, a risky decision. Friends, exercising faith means that we have to be willing to take some risk. We talk about this at Heritage by, by talking about faithful risk, that willingness to keep showing up even in the gaps, in the spaces where it might not make sense for, for the church to be. We want to be people who take risks for Jesus always. So think about what this woman had to overcome. To touch Jesus, she had to touch the people. She hadn't touched people in 12 years. To get to Jesus, she had to pass the roadblocks. She had to get past the possibility of being re rebuked. Think about Jesus and the disciples. The disciples were probably right around Jesus. You know how they were. They were protecting him. Even when the children tried to get to Jesus, the disciples were like, whoa, whoa, the children, they don't need to be coming up to Jesus. And so this, this woman has to get past all of that to touch Jesus. She's got no resources. She's got no clout like Yarius. She doesn't have any friends, no solutions. All she has is this, this belief that compels her to move toward Jesus no matter what. A purity of faith that Jesus can help her and a sure hope that he will. And we see in verse 29, immediately, immediately, as soon as she touched Jesus, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. Let's talk about that word immediately. If you've got a Bible, underline it, highlight it, circle it, something. This word is used 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. And I think it's used so frequently there because there's an urgency to the work that Jesus is engaged in. Mark is really looking at the three years of public ministry that Jesus had before he would suffer and die on the cross. And so there's an urgency to his mission. He's got work to do, and he's engaged with it with expediency. Friends, I think that the same urgency that Jesus had to be about the work of his father is the same urgency that we are invited into today. There is urgency for us to get right with God. There is urgency for us to live in right relationship with other people. And friends, there is urgency for us 
to tell others about the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus isn't just for us. It's for the people that we know that are far from God. And friends, if you're listening to this message and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would sense that urgency, that you would sense the invitation that Jesus is making to you now to begin a relationship with him. If you want to talk about that, if you want to journey through that, I invite you to text FAITH to the number on your screen. You can go on our website and fill out a, a Connect card, and we want to get in touch with you. We'll respond to that. If you want to call or pray with the pastor line, we want to journey with you because, friends, the time is short. There is urgency to us experiencing this right relationship with God. And so as soon as the woman touches Christ's garment, he feels the power go out of him and he turns around and he says, who touched me? I love that because there's all these people touching him that there was something about this touch of faith that made him stop in his tracks and want to interact with the person who had displayed such enormous faith. And very quickly, we see that Jesus, the great physician, identifies the patient who's likely trembling with self-consciousness and with fear and maybe even with shame, but also like gratitude because, because we know that immediately she knew that she had been restored. And, and so when he says, who touched me? I love her response. There's such purity in it. It says, she told him the whole truth. Again, underline the whole truth. Circle that, mark that in your Bible. And here's what I want us to take away from that, friends. Jesus can handle our whole truth. He knows us. He sees us. He loves us. He saw us when we were knit together in our mother's womb. And when we tell the whole truth to him, there's something beautiful and cleansing that happens in our relationship with Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Where, where he interacts with her. And you know what she takes away from that? She goes and she tells all the people in the town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And she had done a lot. And yet somehow this feels like good news for her. I think this is part of what happens in relationship with Jesus. He takes our whole truth and he writes a different story with it. He writes a beautiful story. One more, one more beautiful than we could even imagine. So why did Jesus call her out? Was it to embarrass her? Was it to shame her? Was it to, was it to uh, why did he do that? He did it to restore her rightly back in community. He did, he did it for her, but he also did it for the people who were looking on because he wanted there to be no doubt about who she was and whose she was. And so in verse 34, we see that Jesus calls her daughter. He calls her daughter in response to her truthful declaration of her reason for daring to touch him. Jesus interrupts his mission of mercy on behalf of a father for his daughter to lovingly extend an invitation to family by calling her daughter. He validates her, he restores her, and he gives her a sense of belonging and friends. He calls you son, he calls you daughter, I love this reminder in scripture that he sets the lonely in families. Jesus is all about creating family, creating that sense of belonging with him, with him as our Abba, our daddy, our father. All three accounts of this story use the phrase in the Greek, made well or made whole. Now we translate it healed, that the woman was healed, but there's actually a much greater richness to this word. The word is called sozo. That is the word in the Greek. And this, this word is more than just a physical healing. This word carries with it the idea of rescue. Rescue from impending destruction by a superior power. Friends, I want us to remember that there is an enemy that comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and that we might have life to the full, that we might experience a flourishing fullness of life, life that is, that is, that is whole in body and in mind and in spirit and in community. No one else, no one else but Jesus can do that in a moment. This word sozo, this is the same word used in Matthew 121 when the angel appears to Joseph and, and, and says to him, 
And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall make whole. He shall save his people from their sins. He shall sozo his people from their sins. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. Friends, what is not possible with man, what is beyond man, man cannot make you whole in body, mind, and spirit, and in community. What is not possible with man is always possible with God. And so this woman is made whole, made whole from taboos that her bleeding would have subjected her to, made whole from the sickness and ailments that would have gone along with 12 years of bleeding, made whole because her faith in the one that is more powerful even than death was surely on its way to claim her made whole in community, made whole. She touched Jesus. Jesus didn't outstretch his hand to heal her. She had to overcome her insecurity, her sense of unworthiness, her vulnerability, her health limitations, to not only name her need, but to publicly touch the one who could make her whole. I've often wondered, where did this woman's audacious faith come from? Like, like after 12 years, what made her think, man, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just get to him, he can fix all of this. I don't know where her faith came from. I marvel sometimes when I see, I see the faith that is stirred up in people to just believe, to not just believe in their heart, but to actually put actions behind their beliefs. See, I think we can believe a lot about God, but faith is when we actually put feet to those beliefs. James 2.17 says it like this, faith not accompanied by actions is dead. Our faith is meant to be active. It is meant to be forward moving. And our faith is not just for us, but our demonstrations of faith serve to encourage Others. There's something powerful when we see someone just put, put feet to their belief that God can do something that man cannot. It encourages our heart. I think it, it allows us, it grows our faith. And we see that this woman's act of faith serves to encourage others to believe that Jesus can also make them whole. It, later on in Mark 6, we see people are encouraged by this, by this healing. And so what happens is when they find out that Jesus is going to come into a town, they take their sick and they bring him into the marketplace and they lay them along the roadside and they tell the sick people, hey, look, all you have to do as Jesus walks by is just touch, touch the fringe of his garment and you'll be healed. And Mark chapter 6, verse 56b says this, and as many touched it, Jesus' edge of his garment, were made well. They were made whole. This woman's example provides a gateway for others to reach out and touch even the fringe of his garment and experience immediate healing. Jesus' deity and his royalty is fully on display when he immediately heals this woman. He exercises his authority and power over sickness and disease and just a few moments later, you're going to see if you, if you read through to the end of Mark chapter 5, and I encourage you to do that, Jesus takes authority over even death when he gets to Jairus' house. But what I love is it's not just Jesus' authority on display. It's also his humanity. Jesus sees the suffering around him, and he is moved to respond. Jesus goes to the fringes. He touches the untouchable. He brings to the center the marginalized. Why? Because of love. The crown and the cross ever before Jesus, fully God and fully man. 1 John 3.16 reminds us of this. Friends, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. It is in the cross that we find that we find our victory. And our response to that victory is gratitude. Gratitude and growing faith. That with God, with God really, all things are possible. Let's pray.
Father, Son, and Spirit, how grateful we are for this reminder that we can trust you, that we can move towards you. We can, we can rest assured that you know us, that you see us, and that you love us, that we can bring our whole truth to you, and you will make us whole. Father, I pray in this, in this Lenten season that you would allow us to just let go of the, the crutches, the things we've been holding onto that maybe we've become dependent on. And Father, grow our dependence on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us to live with a sense of urgency, that you are returning and that there is good news for people who are far from you. We are so grateful. We are so, so grateful for your love. Oh, how we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. knows the voice spoken to the void the breath that brought the dust to life and sang the stars to fall the darkness fears your voice That drove it back before And though the night is long I know your light Will drive it back once more One word from you Things change on your
I'm so grateful that Jesus invites us to reach out to him, to, to touch the hem of his garment and find that we are encountering him in real ways in that way. You know, one of the things that we're passionate about is actually creating great spaces where our kids can reach out to Jesus in environments that are geared just for them. We're so excited that this weekend we relaunched incrementally Kids Opportunities in Space with us. You can find information for you and your kids at heritageqc.com or register in the Church Center app for kids services at nine o'clock at both our Rock Island and Bentendorf locations. We hope to see you and yours there.